0: Welcome to Cup of Cubby Blue. The Cubs are back at Wrigley Field this weekend to play the Reds' home for baseball news updates and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, part of the SB Nation family of team sites. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoy our baseball banter, be sure you leave a five-star review to help other people find Cup of Cubby Blue just in time for the just in time for Memorial Day weekend. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs for Bleed Cubby Blue and about various baseball things at Fangraphs. Andy is out today because she lost her voice cheering for our Cubs uh, in St. Louis, but she brought them luck. So we are going to wish Andy gets well soon. And while we are waiting for Andy to be back, we are so lucky to have a get special guest here to join us today. So it's my pleasure to welcome Ken Schultz to the show, Ken writes for Baseball Prospectus, and Outsports. He also hosts a podcast called Three Strikes, You're Out, which I have had the privilege of being on a couple of times, and now I'm so excited to have Ken and Kappa Cubby Blue.
1: It is a pleasure to be here, Sarah, and I think we missed an opportunity right off the top before bringing me in. We could have just gone with, hi, guys, this is Andy, and I'm so excited about rooting for the Cubs this past weekend that this is my voice now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that actually would have been pretty funny, and everybody might have been very confused, but it would have been a great joke.
1: Andy has gone full Barry White after the Hobby Bias home run in the 10th inning on Sunday.
0: Oh, my Lord. Uh, In case you all have not figured it out already, Ken also does some stand-up comedy, so this might be a funnier episode with him here. Uh, Ken, how did your weekend go?
1: Uh, It's... Started great on Friday, went into terrible on Saturday, and then back to great on Sunday night again, which usually when Sunday involves both Matt Baskersian and Alex Rodriguez, great is not the ending you expect, but uh, turned out okay.
0: I'm sorry to hear that there was a little rough patch in there, but I'm glad things worked out okay.
1: You know, anytime Yachty makes his presence felt, it's kind of hard to say the entire weekend was phenomenal, but uh, overall, yeah, I'll take it, absolutely.
0: Yeah, we're definitely going to talk about Yachty in a second. Just so people are aware, we're going to try to do um, some extra duty here with Cup of Cubby Blue this week. Normally we'd go series by series, but with the holiday weekend with Andy being out, we're going to try to get you covered for everything that happened in the St. Louis series. We're going to recap that, and then we're going to look ahead to both the Pirates and the Red series. So the Cubs have three games that they are going to play in Pittsburgh followed immediately by three games at Wrigley field against the Reds. So we're going to try to talk about all of that and we'll see how we do on time with that. Uh, Let's just jump into it since we've got a lot to do The Cubs won two of three against the St. Louis Cardinals and looked pretty darn good doing it. I mean, one of the things I love about this is that they were in every game. There were no blowouts. There was no moment where the Cubs looked like they were outmatched. We were told that the Cardinals were world beaters after all they did managed to pull off the magic trick of getting the Rockies to pay them to take Nolan Arenado off their hands. I've got to admit, I I wasn't that impressed. I thought that they looked like an eminently beatable Cardinals team. What, what was your big takeaway, Ken?
1: I mean, they're not running away with it, partly because they're in the NL Central and nobody in the NL Central is really what you'd consider incredible at this point. Like, if they were, they'd be in the NL West, it seems. And uh, yeah, the Cardinals, it certainly feels like that they've got a incredible player Nolan Arenado, but they're not really surrounding him with much, especially with Goldschmidt starting out in the slump that he's been in. Like uh, Goldschmidt is Anthony Rizzo before his May hot streak that got him into kind of normal territory where he is now. Now Goldschmidt, you expect at some point, is going to, to, to go off and... The fact that it didn't happen against the Cubs feels like a minor miracle, given the way he plays every series to this point against them. But the Cardinals lineup at this point is essentially Arenado doing what you expect Arenado things are, Yachty hitting a bunch of home runs, which feels like something is wrong with the universe, and not a whole lot else right now. So if you can somehow survive the really good starting pitching that they throw at you and get into that bullpen, you definitely have a shot because until they get to the end of their bullpen, that that's a very beatable group in St. Louis right now.
0: It is. I want to talk about the starting pitching a little bit more. So let's start with the Cubs. Uh, Kyle Hendricks was outstanding. I think it is safe to say that whatever concerns we had about Kyle Hendricks at the start of the season seem to have been fixed and have been fixed for a few st- starts. Now he just did what he always does against St. Louis. he, Spun a gem, kept the Cubs completely in the game. Great stuff from Kyle Hendricks in that series opener. I actually thought that the Cardinals starting pitching looked pretty more like beatable. I, You know, we obviously did not get to see Jack Flaherty in this series, but Carlos Martinez has something weird going on. I can't quite figure out what it is. He hit three batters in four and two-thirds innings, which was just out of control in that first game. And it wasn't like he was throwing at Cubs, so don't get mad at Carlos Martinez. It more looked like he couldn't have found the plate to save his life. What is going on with Carlos Martinez from your eye? Uh,
1: Well, Carlos Martinez, he's only had a few starts since essentially missing the entirety of last year, hasn't it? In the case with him so i you know and even before that he was never really what someone who i consider the picture of you'd expect every single time to go out and dominate he's certainly capable of it and certainly has his share of really great games but is his he's never even in his best condition been someone who i look at and thought well this is someone who is definitely going to shut them down and just in terms of the kind of uh the number of hit by pitches there, there was something about the fact that Anthony Rizzo got hit by one of them that felt like the universe was setting itself right again, that somehow nature was healing a little bit that, okay, yeah, at least it's Anthony Rizzo. This makes like some sort of logical sense to me. Cause that's what happens that uh, I've, I've gotten so used to Wilson getting hit instead of Anthony at the start of the season that I kind of wondered is, is uh, are we in some kind of parallel dimension in terms of Cubs taking HBPs at this point? And uh, just to Circle back for a second to Kyle Kyle Hendricks' start, too. The most encouraging part about that start to me that I wanted to make sure to highlight was how he escaped that jam with the bases loaded in, I believe, the sixth inning, where they had already tied the score, and they had bases loaded, one out with Molina, and then Bader do up, and he induced a pop-up and a ground-out. Because we know, to this point, the thing that's been most maddening about Hendricks is that when his mechanics get awry, he loses it, and he doesn't find it again for the rest of the inning. So to see him kind of briefly teeter again like that and then get back in command and and find his control like that, I think is really encouraging going forward for the rest of the season, hopefully a sign that we're getting back to the real professor.
0: Yeah. And then, so in the early part of this game, you know, Martinez kept it close, but by the time the Cubs got into what I'm going to call the unreliable part of the Cardinals bullpen, because I really feel like the Cardinals have two different bullpens after seeing them for a few games. The unreliable part of the Cardinals' bullpen is bad. Like I have never seen walks like that. It was out-of-control walk city in St. Louis. I can't imagine this team going anywhere in the playoffs if they're walking in runs at the rate that they did in this series. What do you think, Ken?
1: Well, Cardinal fans, as we know, like to think of themselves as the best fans in baseball, the self-applied title like that. And I, I want to say to them, so, yeah, you like baseball so much. Do you like 30-minute half innings in the top of every inning? Because that's what the bullpen's giving you. Yeah, that is, that is something that even as a fan of the Cubs, after about 25 minutes, it's like, look, can you guys get one out that's not David Bodie running into an out on the bases so we can just kind of move on and enjoy the rest of this win? But, yeah, that, if you have to watch that every day. And, and unless it's the last two or three guys at uh, the top of their bullpen, that is a rough watch. And uh yeah, I would not rely on anybody. Like if the Cardinals have any hopes of of contending beyond just winning a very winnable division, they've got to make major moves in midseason to to shore that up. Because that's until you get to those last two or three, that's that's rough.
0: Yeah, I think I heard on the broadcast that they have walked in twelve runners <sighs> this season, which leads MLB. So that is uh that is not great for the Cardinals bullpen. The second game that is the game that the Cubs were not quite able to pull out. Uh, you mentioned our old nemesis, Yadi Molina. Look, this was just a hard fought game and the Cardinals came out ahead. I don't really have any larger takeaways there. I don't think that Yadi is going to keep up the pace that he is currently on. Although who knows? Stranger things have happened. Um, but it really did feel just kind of a little soul crushing when Yadi hit that home run
1: yeah it's every time he does something well, it's like it reinforces the narrative that we keep hearing not just from cardinal fans unfortunately but from every national broadcast that this is somehow a baseball legend that we're watching in real time and it's not He's never been he's a very good player, sometimes great in his in his really good offensive years absolutely very valuable and an important component to two world champions taking nothing away from him from that but every time you just hear this over and over that this is a definite first ballot hall of famer, it makes me want to beat my head against the wall. And unfortunately, when there are moments like that where he does step up in clutch situations, it's like, well, okay, it's another six months of that, I suppose. And just to give you a a quick personal story of how that game went for me, that most of that day I actually spent hanging out with a friend uh, and had a a really good afternoon just uh, socializing and remembering what socializing was like. And I turned that game on in the bottom of the seventh, uh, right after we'd said good night to one another. And it was one, one and Yadi was the first batter up. And so it leaves the ballpark and I immediately let out, uh, I'll say a conservative estimate, 10 FUs in my apartment. And then like looking out my window afterwards, realize, Oh, he's still standing on the sidewalk waiting for his lift to come. Okay. So now he thinks I'm a total rageaholic, uh, which, which is fun. But yeah, that's that's I mean that's the immediate reaction. The, the good thing I will say about how that inning turned out is that adverts, who had been pitching incredible up to that point, right after the home run and the, a deflating moment like that, that essentially lost the game for you, found it right away again and and got through the rest of that inning with no problem at all. And that to me indicates that the the discussion that Matt Duffy had with him a couple starts ago in Cleveland where he had also given up a late inning home run that lost in the game and had emotionally affected him. Uh, that indicates to me that what Matt Duffy told him has really sunk in and advert's already taken it to heart and knows how to use it on the field. And for someone of his age and with that little experience, be able to kind of adapt like that to what a major league pitcher needs to do. You can't help but think that that's encouraging going forward.
0: Yeah, I, I, Poor Adbert, man. Adbert keeps throwing these gems and then has like one bad moment and the Cubs don't score enough to pull him out of it. He is so much better than the 2-4 record that he is sporting would lead you to believe. And so I don't want people to get discouraged or think that, oh, Adbert just can't get it done or whatever. The numbers are good, people. The K per nine is good. He strikes out more than nine batters per nine innings. That's great. The walks are way, way down, as we've talked about on this show before. He does need to rein in the home runs just a tiny bit. It seems like every time he, like once a game, he will miss with that slider or with a fastball, and it just winds up immediately deposited in the cheap, the cheap seats. But I, I want to make sure that people appreciate that what Adbert is doing is actually – quite impressive. And I was glad to see him get to pitch um into late into that game. I was bummed that it didn't work out for him. And hopefully his luck changes for the better soon.
1: Yeah. Normally starting out your career with a Jacob deGrom comp is good. Uh, in this particular instance, I'd kind of prefer you don't get Gram's run support if possible. But yeah, especially after his previous start, leaving after only five innings and 63 pitches, because David Ross. Saw didn't like what he was seeing on the mound in terms of how he was commanding the slider to kind of come back from that and then maybe have his most dominant outing of the entire year. Yeah, you have to think that, again, that that says a lot about how he's able to just kind of compartmentalize that early exit in a previous start and move on to something better when uh, in real time as the next start happens.
0: Absolutely. Uh, let's talk about this Sunday night baseball game that the Cubs did wind up winning, but honestly, I talk about the home plate umpire because (laughs) people may have been surprised i don't know to to see adam wainwright one hitting the cubs through eight innings like what is going on is adam wainwright good again no he's not he's still like in his decline and he's eminently beatable but when adam wainwright or any pitcher gets an additional three to five inches off the plate they're going to look like a world beater because nobody can make good contact with that. And Eric Bacchus was a disaster <laughs> behind the plate. I don't know if you follow this ump scorecards account, but he missed 85%. Like he no, I'm sorry, he had 80 he had an 85% accuracy outside the zone, which means he missed 15% of the calls outside the zone, and they were and look, yes, it was consistent, I guess, but consistently unhittable is not a good strike zone. That's just a recipe for no offense, which is one of those things I thought MLB was trying to fix. So I don't know. What what did you see in this Sunday night baseball game, Ken?
1: It's it's kind of a classic mid-90s Braves start, isn't it, for someone who came from the Braves? Totally. The game, that's, you, you go back to the days before pitch tracks and even before Quest Tech, when umpires weren't monitored at all in their strike zones, and you've got someone who can establish early on that the umpire is going to give you that couple inches outside the zone. And then you just kind of keep going to that over and over and over again. And the stat that I saw, and I forget where it was, it was a random Twitter account. The name doesn't stick in my mind, but uh, that Wainwright got something like 32 called strikes on that night, which is the second most any pitchers gotten the entire year, which yeah, again, if you're calling a strike three inches off the plate in the outside corner. Yeah. And, and you Adam Wainwright, the one skill he still has is control. So, yeah, you just keep explaining that over and over, and all of a sudden you've got the Eric Gregg-Levon Hernandez tribute band going again.
0: Yeah, that's a great, great call out. I mean, I, and look, they're Hall of Famers for a reason, so I'm not saying this is the only reason they were great pitchers, but it reminded me a little bit of how Tom Glavin and Greg Maddox used to establish the zone and then just keep kind of pushing it like a centimeter out and a centimeter out and a centimeter out. And I think that's I think that Wainwright definitely did that more effectively than Zach Davies. So even though they both benefited from the expanded zone, I thought Wainwright benefited from some of the more egregious calls, which is not to say that the Cardinals benefited more overall. The M scorecard stuff actually showed that the Cubs wound up benefiting overall because of the high leverage situations where they got some of those calls. But Wainwright's pitches were less hittable. <laughs> than Davies were because Davies wasn't pushing the envelope in the same way that Wainwright and Molina knew they could because they're wilier and older and have been playing this game longer. (laughs) Yeah, And there's probably
1: something psychological in in that too, in terms of hitting where if you have your first at bat and you see consistently that this, this ball that's clearly off the plate is getting called a strike. After a while, if it keeps happening, you go, well, okay, what do I do? I've been taught to this point how to work the zone, but in order to work the zone, you need an actual functioning strike zone. And if he keeps getting that, I guess it could go out there and hit a weak dribbler to shortstop or to second base over and over again. But yeah, at a certain point, I don't know how to combat this. And yeah, it's incredibly frustrating and irritating. So I guess the way to combat it is to just hope that you keep them from scoring until Wainwright comes out of the game and then wait till you get your free runner in the 10th inning and crush one to deep center.
0: I mean, I was going to say the way you combat that is Javier Baez does not care about a strike zone. So Javi can hit whatever. Although that pitch, I think, wasn't the pitch he wound up mashing to center was in the strike zone. Also, particularly well-timed to shut up Alex Rodriguez, who was going on about how Javi looked anxious at the plate and the game was moving too fast for him. And I honestly almost turned off my TV. I was or at least the sound I was just like. Can, can A-Rod stop right now? And he went immediately from criticizing Baez to singing his praises as if he was the greatest player in history. I was just like, buddy, you, you are not good at this. Like, you were a good baseball player and you were not good at this.
1: Can A-Rod stop right now has been uttered in the MLB offices for the better part of 20 years, I think. So, unfortunately, the answer <laughs> is no. Uh, yeah, at that point, I t- just tuned in Pat and Ron full-time. Uh, yeah, uh, honestly, after... The last Sunday Night Baseball back in May where Buster Olney, in the span of, I think, three minutes, traded Anthony Rizzo to the Yankees and then implied the 2016 team was a disappointment historically. Yeah, I'm I'm done with them. There, there's, it's, at this point, of, if I tune in, that's on me to watch them. That's because I know that they're just going to exist to aggravate me for nine innings, and I'd much rather just enjoy Pat and Ron banter.
0: Cat and Ron are great. I've never been able to sync up the broadcast with the radio feed precisely, and so I just can't do it.
1: Yeah, I I decided to sacrifice pictures. You know, if if for one night, if that means I don't get to watch St. Louis, I'm fine.
0: Fair enough. Uh, So the Cubs wind up winning two out of three against the Cardinals. One of the things that Andy and I talked about going into this series was that we were going to learn a lot about this Cubs team and where they stand relative to the division when we saw them head to head against the team that sort of set the pace. And I mean, I think we learned that the Cubs are as good as any team in the division. And dare I go out on a limb and say the Cubs might be the best team in this division. It could happen.
1: Certainly. Yeah. Given the fact that they've got the best bullpen in baseball at this point for over the past three or three or so weeks, not just in the division. So that's already a pretty key component to have. Uh, You have an offense that uh, has, for the most part, figured it out over the course of an entire month, which gives you hope that even assuming they're going to have another swoon or two in them, that they can figure it out again and still become a team that can score somewhat consistently. So it's really a matter at this point of, is the starting pitching going to be competent? Uh, We have encouraging signs from Hendricks. I think... You can squint and see Zach Davies being functional. He's at least not giving up runs. Now, a lot of his peripherals indicate he should be. Uh, you've got Arietta who is pretty much what we expected. Advert, who is you know, honestly amazing. The question with him is, can he pitch enough innings at this point? And then that Trevor Williams spot is really the troublesome, the this, this sticky wicket, if you will. So... It's, it's both a question of starting pitching effectiveness and can they cover enough innings so they don't run the bullpen into the ground? And if they can, then yeah, I would say absolutely the Cubs have a real shot.
0: Yeah, that Trevor Williams spot is, is troublesome. I don't have a lot of faith when that spot comes through. And, and I, I would love Trevor Williams to figure it out. I just, I haven't seen anything this season that indicates that's happening. Part of me would rather see Alec Mills In that role, part of me would like to see what Keegan Thompson maybe stretched out a little bit could do with that spot. I just have not really seen it from Williams, although who knows, maybe he will, maybe he will recover a bit.
1: Yeah. um, Honestly, I, I wish the best thing about Trevor Williams was anything other than his dad. I mean, his dad is great, but you know, I would love, like if he had more than that first start of the year against Pittsburgh, which was very good. Uh, you know, it would be an incredible story at this point. Unfortunately, it feels like we're just kind of waiting until they find somebody better. And that that's a shame, given how excited he was and how excited his family was to join the team. And hey, the thought just occurred to me. You know what the Cubs could use in starting rotation? Like, if somehow they were able to have the Cy Young runner-up from last year, uh, huh. someone with an ERA, like around 1.6 or so right now, uh, who... Is you know has maybe ten or so effective pitchers like it seems like that might put them
0: over the top. It, do you know anybody like that who could be in a Cub uniform? I mean, you you wouldn't be talking about you Darvish like that. You Dar- there's no way the Cubs would ever go out and get you Darvish on their team.
1: Like I, I know that we've got like four or five teenagers in the system now, and that's maybe I, I've heard that it's possible to trade for someone like you Darvish with. A bunch of guys who can't legally drink yet, so maybe it's worth pursuing. Call the Padres <laughs> and see, hey, you know.
0: Uh, yeah, we're gonna see our old friend you, Darvish, and Victor Caratini shortly. Uh, before we go to commercial break, just so people know how things wound up after the weekend, the Cubs are currently a game and a half in back of the Cardinals. We've got some help from the White Sox last night where Lance Lynn took a no-hitter into the sixth or seventh inning against his old team. And look, if you were watching that game, you saw also that Lance Lynn was walking the land and there was just pretty much no way that Lance Lynn was actually going to do the thing. But it was still pretty funny to watch the Cardinals getting no-hit by Lance Lynn. Uh, The Cubs were off on Monday, so they didn't have any chance to make up ground. They just got an assist from the White Sox, but they will be headed into Pittsburgh to take on the Pirates for three games. And we will talk about that on the flip side, but first a quick word from our sponsors. All right, we are back. We are going to try to do two series rundowns in the second half of this episode. We will see how we do. Uh, First up is the Pirates, where the Cubs will play three games. Ken, what is interesting to you about this Pirates series?
1: Um, Gosh, interesting and pirates are not words that usually go together. Uh, PNC Park? I suppose it'd be the first thing that springs to mind. Uh, it, It feels a little bit like that classic trap series, doesn't it? Where you've just emerged from your most inspiring series win of the year, going down to St. Louis for the first time and taking two or three and, and especially winning in such an exciting way on Sunday night. And now you get the team that everybody knows is kind of the drag of the division at this point. And the one thing about it going in is remembering that last series in Pittsburgh and not just how, Bad it was losing two of three, but the way they lost those games and getting waxed in both, both the losses they had there. So to me, it's a matter of, OK, now are you going to be able to kind of take this new contact-oriented approach uh, to this team that shut you down when you were kind of the three true outcomes back in April? And can you do what you're supposed to do to Pittsburgh's pitching staff at this point with with this new offensive approach? and I would certainly hope you can, given that Pittsburgh doesn't really overpower you. But that's going to be the test, I think, for this series.
0: Yeah, trap series is right. I I have found that the Cubs have played really well this year when they've had to against great teams. They played outstanding baseball against the Dodgers. They took down Kershaw, and they took down Bauer, and they took down Walker Bueller. And you were just like, wait, where was this team all... All season, they walked into St. Louis and they took on the Cardinals and they looked outstanding. But when they have played teams like Pittsburgh or the Reds or the teams that they are supposed to beat, they have been frustratingly mediocre. And I am curious to see if they can keep some of that momentum that they had in St. Louis against the Pirates, particularly uh, starting off tonight with Jake Arrieta up against our old friend TBD, which almost hey. always spells disaster. For Cubs hitters, like you throw up the random bullpen arms from, I the Pirates are almost a AAA team. I don't even know where their bullpen cut. Like what? Is this their double A? Like coming? I don't even know. But I feel like it's not going to go well for the Cubs every time I see TBD. I cringe a little bit inside.
1: Yeah, well, you go back to just the previous series. The one game they lost was, uh, you know, Miles Michaelis started out well against them, but all of a sudden in the middle of the game he had to leave and. They get shut down by Daniel Ponce de Leon, who the only thing I know about him is his last name is incredible. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, it's it's it, And I think that's probably to go back to what I said earlier, a test of kind of what they're doing right now, where instead of going up and swinging from the heels and pu- trying to pull everything, which as Sahadev Sharma's piece this morning kind of indicated, they were doing nothing but pulling for the first month. Now go up and kind of do the, their approach is a bit more Matt Duffy ish in terms of that C ball hit ball and going up against a TBD kind of hurler. You would think that, that would be kind of an effective way to start out attacking rather than trying to overpower them. Just see what he's got and do what you can with it.
0: One would hope. I mean, I have a lot of faith in Jake Arrieta. He doesn't strike out a ton of guys anymore, but he is going to give you some gutsy innings and there's probably going to be about five or six of them. Uh, Jake, I, they have lined up. Jake starts pretty well this season to make sure that he never goes up against world beaters. <laughs> you I doubt you were going to, I doubt the Padres are going to get a look at Jake Arietta mm-hmm. right? Like, I am fairly certain they will figure out some way for, oh, look, Jake Arietta is pitching in the finale of the Red Series. How crazy how that worked out. Just not going to face the Padres, right? Like, I feel like they have really managed the schedule well to make sure that Jake is out there when he is not going to get one of those, like, I mean, we've we've seen John Lester have some of those games. It is not fun. Um, but Jake has been pretty good at avoiding those so far this season, knock on wood, as I, you know, deal with maybe I've just caused the Pirates to uh, pounce on our old pal Jake. Um, Wednesday's game is Trevor Williams versus Will Crow. Neither of these two guys looks particularly inspiring. We've got a 5.97 ERA going up against a 4.91 ERA. And if you are readers – At Bleed Cubby Blue, you know that Al Yellen and I have a bet going. Al believes that Trevor Williams will have an ERA under four and a half and be a perfectly suitable um, starting pitcher. I believe I am crushing this bet because I just don't think there's any way that's going to happen. What do you see in this Williams-Crow matchup? You already talked about Williams a little bit.
1: Uh, Trevor Williams, gosh, it it sounds like Al is making this bet based on the fact that he really, really wants it to happen. And, you know, I don't blame him. I want that to happen, too. But, yeah, you're going to win this. Uh, I don't think there's any question at this point that that you're winning this in the long run. Uh, The one thing that I'll say is that uh, one of the few good starts we've had from Trevor Williams this year has been against the Pirates' his first time out, as we mentioned earlier. And this is the lineup that if you're going to have that kind of random game where you're just kind of at the top of your game, you're commanding the ball well, you can shut them down. So uh, that's that's the best I can give you in terms of Trevor Williams' hope at this point. Until he, until he shows us that there's more there, you just got to kind of hope that you know, this is going up against the Pirates and maybe their lineup is going to come through for you in terms of you'll just have your one good game of the month against them. Uh, in terms of Crow, the only thing that I can think of is I'm not sure whether to make an "Every day is a winding road" or "Long December" reference in terms of his name. So,
0: I was gonna. I, I thought you were gonna make an eat Crow joke. Um, the <laughs> Thursday matchup is a day game, so make sure that you have that on while you're working or whatever you're doing during the day on Thursday. Uh, Kyle Hendricks will toe the rubber against Tyler Anderson. Hendricks, you know, we mentioned it when we were talking about the Cardinals series, but he really has been outstanding in May as a 2.36 ERA this month with 21 strikeouts and three walks uh, in May, which got to love that strikeout to walk ratio. Tyler Anderson had a not great start um, his last time out in Atlanta, which look, we've, we've seen the Braves offense, Tyler. So, so we understand. Um, But I believe that might've been the game where the, Braves won 20 to 1 or something like that, which was I honestly looked at the scoreboard and was like, what is going on in Pittsburgh? It would be nice to see the Cubs put up an offensive explosion like that at some point over the next three days. You had a Santo
1: moment. Do you remember those back in the day where just every soft when the Cubs were getting waxed? Just out of the blue, you'd hear Ronnie in the background going, What is going on, Patrick? Which <laughs> you love when you're analyst, that's that's the one thing he has to offer is I have no idea. It's chaos. Uh, the one thing about Kyle Hendricks going up against the Pirates, the Pirates' one offensive skill is contact, and we saw in Hendricks's last start that that can sometimes burn him because uh, if you're not going to have guys in the outfield who catch the ball, like uh, if you know Jake uh, Mariznick happens to pull up lame on a ball to center, then you can suddenly give up those four runs in the first and have to play from behind the entire game. And in an outfield like PNC Park, which is humongous, you've got to have guys who can cover that ground in both left and right center. So if the Cubs can somehow put their best defensive outfielder in center field for that particular game, that would really help against the Pirates lineup, I'd say.
0: Not entirely sure who our best defensive yeah, I'm, outfield I'm, is right now, given all the hamstring injuries. I mean, Jason Hayward still has a hamstring injury. Jake Marisnik, as you mentioned, hamstring injury. And... Justin Steele somehow hurt his hamstring trotting the base. Like, he was not running. I'm sorry. Like I, I, I don't know how he hurt his hamstring, quote unquote, running the bases when he really didn't run. But he did. He managed to do that, which was kind of unbelievable.
1: Is Chris Bryant their best defensive? Oh, please field don't, please board. don't.
0: <laughs> Chris Bryant cannot be the Cubs' best defensive. I hope Jock not. Peterson is Jock Peterson best mm-hmm. defensive? I don't even. I don't even know. Um,
1: Problem, right? Like in in PNC Park, that could be the one thing that would do them in against an offense that just kind of puts it in play over and over again.
0: Yeah, I think you are exactly right there. Let's hope that Kyle Hendricks does not get babbed to death again against the Pirates. Let's talk about the Cubs bats because they are really on fire at the moment, particularly Ian Happ, who seems to have fixed whatever was ailing him right before he went on the IL and has come out swinging. He has a 324, 378, 765 slash line over the last 14 days. And is writing that to a WRC plus of 204, four home runs in that time period. But he is not alone. The Cubs have a slew of guys who are just, mashing the baseball. I'm just going to read the names rather than do all the numbers like I normally do, because frankly, if I do all the numbers, that will be the rest of the show. All of these guys have a WRC plus higher than 110, which means they are at least 10% better than league average. Ian Happ, Chris Bryant, Wilson Contreras, Anthony Rizzo, Javier Baez, uh, Jock Peterson, and I believe that is it because Matt Duffy is only at 107, which means he's only 7% above average. What is going on with these bats? I like it.
1: Yeah, I mean, part of it is normalizing, especially after how bad it was for the first three weeks of the season. Like, you would expect, like, they they were bad enough to the point where I spent half a therapist appointment talking about, I I don't, I I went Ronnie, what is going on, Doc? Uh, But yeah, so part of that is just kind of them finding what should be their true statistical selves. But also part of that is the, the approach, like, Anthony Rizzo, Has been sneaky incredible since the start of May, almost entirely without home runs, too. He's still slugging about 500 because of all the doubles he's hitting. And part of that is just everybody is putting it in play so much better. Um, And, you know, it it goes back to everybody's pointing to it, but it does go back to David Ross inserting Duffy and Marisnik in the lineup and kind of saying, "Okay, we need to kind of shake up our offensive attack a little bit and just put some guys whose tool is contact in here. And it seems to have kind of spread around to the other guys who are three true upcoming to that point. It's really, it's wonderful to see. And part of it also is adjustments. Some guys are making, you know, Chris Bryant famously uh, had the Tom Verducci piece where he talked about that he's now concentrating on swinging down in the ball to kind of combat the high fastballs. So guys are putting in the work and it's paying off which it's nice to see that that works still, even in this era of high velocity and incredible spin rates, you know?
0: It is nice to see that that works. We're going to contrast the Cubs' hot bats with the Pirates' not-so-hot bats at the moment. The only two players that they have with WRC Plus over 110 and a decent number of plate appearances over the last two weeks are Adam Frazier and Brian Reynolds, so don't throw either of those dudes a cookie. Uh, Adam Frazier in particular is batting 408 431 571 with a wrc plus of 176 over the last 14 days so yeah stay away from him but honestly it looks like you can kind of pitch to everybody else right now even some people who have been problematic for the cubs in the past like Kevin Newman who has really been struggling over the last 2 weeks it would be cool if the cubs could take advantage of that keep their bats hot keep the pirates bats on ice and come out with at least two or three, but maybe even a sweep.
1: Yeah, it certainly should be conceivable, especially the way they've been playing since the start of May. It also, it does seem like every time they play the pirates, the Cubs are the cure for whatever is ailing Colin Moran. So I would be wary of him just because it seems like he always figures out cub pitching, but yeah, this is a very beatable lineup the pirates throw out there that uh, they, they beat you by putting the ball in play and just kind of hoping the bad if gods are on their side. And if it's not the case, then yeah, you should definitely be able to take the series.
0: Awesome. Let's look ahead to the three game set this weekend where the Reds will come to Wrigley Field. One interesting weather note here that has like very little to do with anything else. There seems to be a cold front on the way, which if you live in Chicago, probably feels impossible right now because you've been walking around in like 85, 87 and humid for the past few days and you probably thought it was true summer, but we are Chicagoans, so we know better than to believe that true true summer actually happens in the middle of May. And it looks like we're in for a spell of some 55, 56 overcast and a little bit drizzly types of days. Worth noting, just because the ball is not going to fly as well in that cold weather as it would in that hot, humid weather. That hot, humid weather should return in time for the Padres series, which kicks off on Memorial Day itself. The Reds are kind of, interesting to me. Uh, I, their offense has been outstanding. Both Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos are absolutely raking. They look like world beaters offensively, but the pitching has not been very good. And, and the pitching is really where the Reds got their success before. You know, they didn't really replace Bauer with anyone. They Luis Castillo has not looked like himself. I was just listening to some fantasy baseball analyst talking about how his changeup is out of the zone so he's trying to get you to chase his change up but everything else is in the zone and so it's allowed hitters to really game plan effectively against that plus changeup, which is the reason that Castillo has been such an effective pitcher over the last couple of seasons what do you think the Cubs can do against this Reds rotation if they assuming they can keep their bats hot through the weekend
1: yeah, it's uh, Castillo has been astonishingly bad. Like not just you know someone who looks like he's in a slump. It it looks like he just doesn't know what he's doing out there. And that changeup analysis makes a lot of sense. I think that yeah, it, the Cubs can do to the Reds rotation, oddly enough, what they did to the Dodgers back at the beginning of May because the weather you just described is essentially the conditions they played in for the entirety of that series. And that was really the first sign at the beginning of May that the Cubs were kind of switching up their offense to this approach that we've been describing throughout this podcast. So again, if you don't try to do too much, especially on those days where it's going to be 55 degrees and the wind blowing in, and you kind of keep going with this approach that's gotten you to this point, you'll be fine against a team that, that is throwing out that mediocre to occasionally God awful starting pitching at this point. So again, it's, it's just that to kind of harken back to another deep voice guy, remember who you are at this point.
0: uh so let's talk a little we don't have probable pitching matchups there. the only pitcher that is actually on the agenda there so far is Luis Castillo who it looks like will pitch the Saturday day game at Wrigley Field in fact I believe these are all day games I have tickets to some of these games I'll have to go back and look (laughs) at like exactly where I'm sitting for some of those I believe I put myself in the bleachers for the rainy one though because I'm brilliant Mm. like that um The so aside from Luis Castillo going on Saturday, we don't really know who what order the Reds are going to roll their rotation out there for the Cubs. You kind of have to imagine that Jake Arietta is going to get that Sunday game, uh, that Sunday day game, and then everything else will back up accordingly. The I kind of would take the Cubs pitching over the Reds at this point. I mean, I I know that that's a risky thing to say and. All of these guys are obviously great pitchers and probably could get it done um, given the right circumstances. Who knows that at this point, Luis Castillo might have a no-hitter in him. Everybody seems to have a no-hitter in them in 2021. But I do think that the way that the Cubs have been – their approach at the plate recently should play well uh, in in a smaller Wrigley field if they can manage it over the weekend.
1: You're going up against potentially Cub killers too in this as Reds pitching staff. Like Castillo, to this point, has been someone who shuts them down just about every time, regardless of how well he's doing. And Sonny Gray is kind of similar in that way. So it could be, you know, just that random series where the Cub killers in their rotation remember how to beat this team, and that's the struggle. But that that's really the only way I could see the Reds pitching staff beating them at this point, uh, unless you know they revert to who they are, which is conceivable, but. And until they show it to you, you know you have to expect that you should be able to take it to them.
0: And then just a quick note about the Reds bats, because really they are on fire. Our old friend Nick Castellanos is slashing 467, 556, 778. That is not his OPS. That is his slugging. Uh, over the last 14 days with a WRC plus of 254, he has been hot all season. I actually wrote about... Castellanos' hot start for Fangraphs. It was my first piece at Fangraphs. Um, and he has not shown any sign of slowing down. Every day is opening day for Nick. And I imagine he is going to love returning to Wrigley Field and being back in the ballpark that he loves so much. I mean, Ken, I don't think you were with me at this game, but the last game Nick Cassiano's played as a Cub at Wrigley Field, it was also um, the last day that we had, uh, oh, Gary Pressy on the Lowry organ and Gary did kind of a concert where he showed everybody out. He just played a few extra songs on the way out that day, but Nick Castellanos was sitting on top of the dugout, just staring longingly at Wrigley field for about 10 minutes as they were cleaning everything up. It was one of the most endearing things I've ever seen from a player who had only been there a short time. And then the Cubs let him go so that he could go to the reds and just hit a lot of baseballs. Um, he is joined by Jesse Winker, who might be the hottest pitch, hottest hitter on the planet right now. Jesse Winker has been absolutely on fire, and they're not the only guys doing damage. Uh, Jonathan India looks pretty good right now. I think Mustakis is actually hurt, so I'm not going to rattle off Mustakis' numbers here. I think that just happened. But what can the, can the Cubs pitching quiet these real hot Reds bats?
1: Yeah, that's going to be the challenge, and. Honestly, this feels like maybe Albert Alslai's biggest challenge today, too, is, is going up against this lineup, especially after a couple of series where he, uh, even with his, without his best stuff, beat the Nationals pretty handily and then took it to that Cardinal lineup, which is not really what we expected, as we talked about earlier. So, yeah, this is a Reds lineup that is very dangerous, that has a couple guys that can really, really take it to you if you're not careful. And yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Adbert responds to that. Um I, I do like, I, I remember that image of Nick Castellanos, uh, the, the photograph from behind him of him staring out longingly at the field on that final day of 2019. And I didn't realize that, that was kind of accompanied with that Gary Pressy soundtrack. So I like the idea that somehow as he was staring out at the field, what he, what he was thinking is, I really miss the hits of the 1960s. The Shirelles, <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff, man. But the thing about Nick Castellanos is that he is phenomenal right now. But I'm not sure to this point he's put up a full year of this level of productivity. So I think he's got a pretty big slump in him at this point this year, unless this is just that career year that we've all kind of been waiting for for him. So why not have it start this weekend? Let's give that a go as far as our team goal. I don't think it's going to happen yet, but it, it will happen eventually this year, I think.
0: I, I think it has to be coming at some point. His BABIP in 2021 is 397. His BABIP... Over the last two weeks is 581. So I like I don't. (laughs) These are not sustainable numbers, Mr. Castellanos.
1: Nick Carew over here. Geez.
0: If Nick Castellanos has a little bit of a regression in him when he returns to Wrigley Field, which helps the Cubs beat the Reds, you will hear about it here on Cup of Cubby Blue. Uh, Ken, thank you so much for joining me for this show. Where can people find you? How can they follow your work? It has been such
1: a pleasure, Sarah. Uh, yeah, uh, you can find me. I write a couple pieces every week at Outsports and Baseball Perspectives about once a month. Uh, Twitter is at Ken Schultz underscore, Instagram at Ken Thin Guy, and every Friday in the Outsports Podcast Network, three strikes, you're out.
0: Wonderful. All good stuff. Be sure you follow Ken. Uh, we will be back On Sunday, with our next Cup of Cubby Blue, looking ahead to the Padres series when you, Darvish, and Victor Caratini come back to Wrigley Field. But until then, be sure that you are following us on Twitter. You can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy, where she is still tweeting, even though she cannot talk, uh, at at BRYZ underscore blue. And you can find both of us at at Cup of Cubby Blue. We will be cheering on the Cubs as they run this NL Central gauntlet through Pittsburgh and against the Reds at Wrigley. Until next time, have a good one. Stay safe this Memorial Day weekend. Bye.